Our passage this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Deb. Would you please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, thank you that you invite us as you did Philip, as you did Nathaniel and Peter and Andrew and James and John, the rest of the disciples. In fact, Lord, you call and you invite each one of us to take our first step in following you and, and then subsequently to keep following you. And I pray this morning, Spirit, that you would open up our eyes to the truth of your word, that we might continue for some of us and for others begin the following, uh, the life of a disciple. Lord, I pray that your spirit um, would guide us into truth. Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and truth. I pray for those who are here this morning who are hurting, that Lord, you'd be a comfort to them. For those, Lord, who are seeking that uh, you would lead them to yourself. And for those maybe who are even apathetic or dry or just riddled with unbelief, I pray that you would help us, help them to overcome their unbelief. Draw them to yourself. Make sure that Christ is exalted, Lord, this morning. Exalt your high and your holy name. Help me to preach the truth in the spirit for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the scripture that Deb read for us is part of a new series part of a new series called Searching for Answers, Encountering Jesus. So the idea for this uh, sermon series came a number of years ago. Um, I was reading a book. Can you guess the author? Who just wants to take a stab? Tim Keller, exactly. Just kind of like quoting Yoda all the time. So anyway, I was reading this book. It's called Encounters with Jesus. And the premise of the book is Jesus encounters all sorts of different kinds of people. Now, this is not, I'm not preaching the book. I'm taking the idea. Some of this, some of the encounters that we're going to look at are not in the book. And, and uh, some of the things that he covers, um, I'm not going to cover. But the premise is this. Everyone you and I know, including ourselves, we all have questions. We all have questions. We're all struggling with different different life issues. And as Zach said in the worship set, ultimately Jesus is the answer. Ultimately, Jesus, and I know that sounds simplistic, but, but Christ is the answer. He has the answers. And so whether or not you have been following Christ for a number of years and you're struggling with an issue, you're struggling with a, a big life question, or whether or not you, are, you, you don't consider yourself a follower of Christ, you don't believe, you don't believe. Here's, here's the thing. 
all human beings have the same questions. All, this, all of us have the same questions. And what we're going to look at each week is a different question and a different person and a different encounter and to see how Christ uh, engages these individuals. So not everybody's looking for Jesus, but they are looking for answers that only Christ can provide. Now we're going to start with a question, where can I find truth? Here's the thing. We live in a, a postmodern world and that is that means that that people by and large believe that truth is relative in other words what's true for you well it might not be true for me and what's true for me might not be true for you so everybody has this kind of idea that truth is a moving target and it really that's that's hogwash no one really believes that because even if you say you believe that you still you still are looking for answers now if you're looking for answers that presupposes what that you can find them. Otherwise, there's no point in answer, answer, asking the question. So everybody is asking the question, where can I find the, the, the answers to my questions? Where can I find truth? Now, along with where can I find truth is who can be trusted? Who can be trusted? So we are going to take a look at the scripture here that Deb wrote. So please open your Bibles to John, John chapter 1. John chapter one, the context here, the context is Jesus has begun his public ministry. Starting in verse 19 of John chapter one, John chapter one, John the Baptist is being questioned. Are you the Christ? And John's like, no, I'm not. I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. Well, then who are you? And he says, I'm the one that points the way to the coming of the Messiah. And then later in John, in, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist is baptizing and he sees Jesus on the banks of the Galilee and he points to him. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, at that moment, at that moment, some of John the Baptist's disciples, that is, followers of, of John, begin to follow Jesus. And so in that first chapter, you see Andrew start to follow Jesus. You see Peter start to follow Jesus. And you see a, a man by the name of Philip begin to follow Jesus. Now, our story, where we're picking it up the, this morning in, in John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, is Philip goes and he invites his brother to follow. So there's a lot of following going on. There's a lot of introducing come, going along. Now, here's, here's what this, what, why this is relevant for us as a church. Grace Community Church is a church that exists... To, to make disciples, to be disciples. A disciple is a follower of Christ. You're just following Jesus. And we're, we're called to be disciples, followers of Jesus, who make disciples. In other words, like we're going to see here in this, in this text, to be like Philip or like Andrew, who invited their brothers to meet Jesus and begin following. Everybody here is on a spiritual journey. Some of you have been following Jesus as a disciple for decades. Some of you have been following him for months some of you have not yet begun to follow him. But regardless of where you're at, we as a church here want to provide you to, to encourage you to take your next step, whatever that next step is. For some of you, it's the first step. For others, it's the next step and maybe in advancing your, your, uh, your relationship with Christ or helping someone else come to know Christ. So we're starting with the question, where can I find truth? Two things we're going to look at. Two things. Number one, pitfalls to avoid. And number two, it's not shown there, but practices to embrace. So pitfalls, we want to avoid those. 
and practices to embrace, we want to embrace those. So the three pitfalls that we're going to take a look at that are right here in the text, the problem of bias. If you're looking for truth, if you're looking for answers, there's three things that will trip you up. Number one is bias. Number two is guile or deceit. We don't use that word guile much anymore, um, if ever. Uh, And then the problem of gullibility. Those are three things that will throw you off. So we're going to take a look at these. These are all three in the text. And and then we're going to look, by way of application, at what are some practices that we can embrace that will help us come to the knowledge of the truth so that we can be successful in our following of Christ, or maybe even taking the first step. So first of all, the problem of bias. Take a look at the text. So the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said, follow me. There it is. That's how discipleship comes. Jesus comes to you, calls you by name, and he says, follow me. For me, that call came in 1988 when I was a student at the University of Iowa. So I began following Christ at that time. So follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the town or the city of Andrew and Peter. And then Philip, who is now following Jesus, he goes and he finds his brother Nathaniel. And he says, we found him who Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Okay, so get the context. Philip is a new follower of Christ. He's excited. He's, he's met the Messiah. And he loves his brother, his brother uh, Nathaniel. And he wants Nathaniel to come to meet this new, this Messiah, this deliverer of Israel. So he invites, he invites Nathaniel. And so what is Nathaniel? How does Nathaniel respond? Awesome. I'm ready to go. No, he's, he responds with skepticism. We see the first skeptic in John chapter 1. Now, skepticism isn't necessarily bad. It just means that you're not gullible. You have questions. Now, what is his hang-up? Let's take a look at the text. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Okay, stop. He's biased. He's biased. See, here's, here's the cultural context. In Israel... From south to north, you have Judea. They're in the south. That's where Jerusalem is. They're, that's where the temple is. They're uppity. They, we're awesome. We got the temple. So they're pretty cool, right? Now, the Galileans are fishermen and they're farmers. They're rural people. And they're despised or looked down on by the, uh, the Judeans. Now, the Galileans, and this is just the way it is in the social pecking order. You've got to make fun of someone. So... They're, they're the butt of all the jokes in the, of the Judeans. So the Galileans, they look down on people from Nazareth. So these are the lowest people on the socio, sociological totem pole. Think of it this way. In Iowa, I say we, not all of us, but many of us make fun of people from Missouri. Now, I have family. My, my wife was born there. My in-laws lived there. Now, some of you, you've heard Jason, Pastor Jason Blackley preach, or maybe Steve Shepherdly who recently left Grace and moved back to Missouri. They're both from Missouri. They're always throwing people from Missouri under the bus. Always throwing people. So if you live in Missouri, who do you make fun of? You make fun of people in Arkansas. Now, if you live in Arkansas, who do you make fun of? People in Louisiana. If you live in Louisiana, who do you make fun of? The people that live on the bayou. If you live on the bayou, who do you make fun of? There's no one left. There's no one further south. It's just water. So that's just the way human beings are. And, and what, what Nathaniel has done here is he has assumed that because Jesus is from Nazareth, whatever he has to offer can't be true. 
These people are hicks. These, in, in, in the eyes of a Galilean, Nathaniel, who, who himself is viewed as a hick from people in Judea, he views anything from... They can't possibly... The Messiah can't come from Nazareth. There's no way. These people are hicks. Have you been to Nazareth? They have a Casey's there. I mean, it's one of those places. That's not in the scripture. That's totally made up. I doubt seriously there was a Casey's in Nazareth. So in, in our context, you, you've seen it. The definition of bias is, is a mental leaning or inclination. Um, it's a partiality or prejudice or bent. We all have bias. We all have natural prejudice. We trust our own group and we don't trust other groups. It's just the way human beings are. So if we're not from a particular place and someone from that other place that we're not from has something that they say we need, we're suspicious automatically. We're suspicious automatically. And in our own context today, I was talking with someone who comes to hear grace, and I think this is probably about four months ago, we were just having a conversation about interacting with a non-believing culture, and, and somebody had posted on Facebook about some issue and what Christians believe, and says, well, this is what Christians believe, this is what Christians believe, this. and so uh, the person who attends here at grace said, well, that's not what the Bible says, and he goes on to say, here's what the Bible says, to which the person responded, oh, you're one of those Christians. I don't even need to explain what that person meant, do I? You know what that means. Oh, you're from Nazareth. You're one of those people that believes the Bible is true. You're xenophobic. You're homophonic, hobophonic. You, you hate these group. You hate this group. You, you vote this way. You, you're anti-science. You're anti-immigration. You're anti-this. In other words, I don't even need to meet you. I don't even need to ask you a question. I know, you're a hick. You're one of those people. You're one of those people. In other words, I don't need to hear the evidence for what you believe. I already know it's not true because of you and your ilk. How many of you are somewhat vaguely aware that the world views Christians that believe the Bible is true as hicks? Have you noticed this? And some of you are hicks. Some of us are hickish if you will. But that does not necessarily mean that what we believe is not true. So this is, this is the essence of bias. In other words, I'm not going to consider the truth because of who is claiming to have truth. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. If we rule out the truthfulness of something on the basis of the people that are claiming they have truth, you may never hear the truth. You may never hear the truth. I was recently talking with uh, someone here at Tins Grace that was interacting with someone they know who happened to be a practicing Jew. And they, this, this person at Grace said, so you're Jewish and, and you believe in the Old Testament. Do you believe that me as a Christian who believes that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the prophecies of all the Old Testament in terms of the Jewish Messiah, do you believe that I am a... Am self-deluded and deceived? And the person said, yes. Yes, I do. Which is, that would be accurate. So they just told him the truth. Yes, I believe you're deluded. You're, you're deceived. You're self-deceived. He said, okay, that's fair. I figured that was the truth. Now, so you, as a Jew who believe the Old Testament, you believe that the Messiah is going to come someday, 
what do you believe the Messiah is going to fulfill and what is the Messiah going to be like? And this person said, I don't know. I've never thought about it. In other words, I just know he's not from Nazareth. Do you see the problem? I'm not going to examine the evidence. I just know I can't be from Nazareth. <laughs> That's what Nathaniel's doing. He's ruling out the truth on the basis of, of, of where Jesus is from or the group of people that he's associated himself with. That's a dangerous, dangerous place. So the solution to bias, let's take a look. So... Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, notice what Philip doesn't say. Philip doesn't go into an apologetic of, no, you see, you see, Nathaniel, you're totally wrong. You've got Jesus all wrong. Yes, technically he lives in Nazareth, but his birthplace is Bethlehem. Therefore, he's in the city of David. He doesn't even know that yet. He's not aware of that. He doesn't know that Jesus' birthplace isn't Nazareth, but Bethlehem. The Bible doesn't encourage us to, to know all of the answers to everyone's questions. You can't. You can't. But what, is, what, is, what does Philip say? Well, come and see. How hard is that? He's not, he's not, I, he's basically what he's saying. I don't know. But you just come and see. Just ask him. Come and see. In other words, put your bias aside and examine the evidence for yourself. Does that sound fair? Who can't do that? Oh, there's lots of people who won't do that. But that is just being objective. Look at the claims and the person of Jesus for who he is. Come and see. Philip is saying, I don't know. Come and see. How many of you are, feel intimidated to interact with people in our culture? Because they think you're a Nazarite. They think you're just a hick. And you know they're going to ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. And so, therefore, I don't know what to say. I'm intimidated. Come and see. Come and see. That, this, it doesn't mean that we, we, we shouldn't ourselves examine the evidence and become more familiar with what the Bible says. But that's not a prerequisite of leading people to come to meet Jesus. The only prerequisite that, that, that's required for us to introduce people to Christ is to have a, have a heart for them. We've met Jesus and we want them to meet Jesus. And yes, they think you're a hick. Just start with that presupposition. If you follow the Nazarene, they will despise you because you follow the Nazarene. But invite them to come and see. Or you yourself are uncertain, you doubt. There's nothing wrong with healthy skepticism. Nathaniel is not lifted up as someone that you shouldn't uh, emulate. He's just honest about his doubts. He doubts the very serious of the Messiah can from, from Nazarene. Some of you don't believe, you doubt. That's okay, but come and see. Take the next step. Now, what we're going to do over the next 11 weeks is we're going to look at different issues questions that people have. For those of you that want to know what we're going to cover, when we're going to cover it, this is the website to go through, graceb3.org backslash sermons 21. That'll show you what question we're going to cover, what scripture we're going to cover each week. That's for you yourself. It's like, ah, I have that question. Or, or you have a brother named Nathaniel 
or a neighbor or someone that you know that wrestles with these same questions and you can invite them to come and see. This is for the body of Christ to equip us to, to better engage our culture with confidence, not arrogance, but confidence to invite them to come and see. So I encourage you to check that out. Now, so that's the problem of bias. The solution to bias is to come and see. Come and see. But there's another problem. Let's take a look at verse 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, if you have a King James version, it will read, in whom there is no guile. Guile means deceit. Nobody uses the word guile anymore. But it just means you have, it's, it's not bias. It's related to bias. Bias is I don't want to consider the evidence because it can't be true because those people are saying it. Guile or deceit says it doesn't matter what the evidence is. I've already made up my mind. And no amount of truth is going to change my opinion because truth is not really relevant. Truth is not valued by someone who is full of guile. They may say they value truth, but it's not true. It's not true. Case in point, Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, here it is, here it is, by their unrighteousness, suppress, hold it down, cage it up, lock it up, suppress the what? The truth. Why do they suppress the truth? What's the text say? Because of their unrighteousness. Here's what they fear. They fear that if they allow themselves to be engaged by truth and to believe in truth, they might need to change. And they're not going to. Nathaniel, Jesus says, here's an Israelite indeed, Someone, there's no deceit. That's not Nathaniel's problem. But if we keep reading in the New Testament, Jesus encounters a number of people whom it is a huge problem. How many people, well, I mean, I'm not, I was going to phrase it in the form of a question, but we're not in jeopardy, so I'm not going to. Here, here's the deal. We, you may think that in order to convince people of Christianity's truth, that what is primarily needed is more evidence. That's not true. Evidence matters. Hence, the solution to bias is to come and see. Check out the evidence. But evidence alone does not change your heart. John chapter 11, something we're going to look at later when we look at the, the problem of death. When, when Jesus calls out Lazarus out of the tomb, how long has he been in the tomb? Four days. Everyone, and they said, don't, don't. Don't hold the stone away. He's stinking. He's de decomposing. Everyone knew Lazarus was dead. But yet Jesus made him roll the stone away and he called him out and Lazarus comes out to have a big party. And it says at the end of John chapter 11 that many saw Lazarus come out of the tomb and many believed. But then there's a conjunction, comma. But the Pharisees, seeing Lazarus re resurrected, determined that not only must Jesus die, 
But Lazarus too had to come to death because through him many were coming to put their faith in Jesus. Now, what does that mean? It means that evidence, evidence does not always lead people to believe. In fact, in this case, because they were full of guile, they were, were full of deceit, they knew that the evidence had to be suppressed. So Thomas Nagel, a uh, philosophy professor at New York University, wrote in his book, The Last Word, about his fear of religion. His fear of religion. I'm just going to quote him so you understand what, 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 uh, what this means. He says, I don't mean to refer to the entirely reasonable hostility towards certain established religions and religious institutions in virtue of their objectionable moral doctrines or social policies and political influence, nor am I referring to the association of many religious beliefs with uh, superstition and the acceptance of uh, evident empirical falsehoods. I'm talking about something much deeper, namely the fear of religion itself. Now listen closely to what he's about to say. I speak from experience being strongly subject to this fear personally. I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my unbelief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That is guile. That is guile. That, is, that goes beyond skepticism and saying that, well, those people can't be true because they're hicks. That's, that's a step further. That, that means that, listen, I know what you're going to say. I don't want to hear it because I'm afraid of what it might mean if it's true. Evidence is not even relevant at that point. That's a, that's a powerful admission. That's a powerful admission. Let's move from philosophers and professors to something a little bit more, um, a little bit more relatable. I had a conversation with, with someone a number of years ago as I was doing a Bible study and inviting all sorts of people that didn't know Christ to this Bible study. And, and this one person I was talking to, this guy said, you know, I'm interested. This intrigues me. I'm interested, but... I don't think that I could be faithful to just one woman. We're not talking about sex. We're talking about Jesus. But what did this person automatically assume? He knew he, he, he didn't even have to, I didn't have to tell him. He just said, let me get this straight. You want me to come and see? Here's my fear. When I come and see and I meet Jesus, he's going to say, you need to keep your pants on. And you need to get married, and you need to be faithful to one woman. I said none of these things. He just automatically went there. And consequently, he never came to the Bible study. Why? He wouldn't come and see. Why? He was afraid of what he might find. That goes beyond bias. Make sense? Now, not everybody's like that. Not everybody who is not a believer is full. Nathaniel is not one of these people that has deceit. He's, he's truthful, even about his own doubts. 
A number of years ago, I had a conversation with a homosexual. I invited him to church. I knew, the, I knew what their lifestyle was. I knew, I knew their, their sexual bent. I invited him anyway. So that started a conversation. This person said, I'm interested in this spiritual journey. But I'm afraid of what it will cost me. Referring to their partner and their family. Now, there, you see the, the similarity? Both, both conversations with the person. Both of them are afraid of, of what the evidence might lead to. But here's the difference. In this conversation I had with this person, I said, you're right to be afraid. But that's not something you need to concern yourself with now. Because if Jesus is not who he says it was, it doesn't matter. You can live as you want. However, if Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is, it won't matter the other way either. Because he'll ask you to do a lot more difficult things than simply walk away from sexual sin. He wants all of you, your sexuality, your, your, your relationships, your, your view of yourself. He wants the to- some total. He wants you to t- pick up your cross and follow him and die. But if he's not who he says he is, it doesn't matter. This person did come and see. This person was scared to death about what they might find, and they found him. And they believed in him. And it was difficult to follow. I'm sure it's still difficult for this person to follow. What holds you back? What are you afraid that this Messiah might ask of you if you find out that he's true? He'll ask you to come and die. That's terrible marketing. Who leads with that? Well, Jesus does. The rich young ruler. What do I have to do? Sell everything you have and then come follow me. What does the rich young ruler do? He goes away sad. I remember reading that for the first time as a, as a follower of Christ. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing to say to somebody who's investigating Jesus. Of course, Jesus said it, so therefore it can't be dumb. He knows. He knows. He knows the rich young ruler was filled with guile. He knows that he's not really interested in following. He's just interested in loopholes. You ever heard of uh, F.W.C. Fields, famous movie star from the 1930s? He was a drunkard. He was a smoker. He was a womanizer. And once he was caught reading the Bible, someone said to him, Mr. Fields, are you interested in religion? He said, no. Take the cigar out of his mouth. Looking for loopholes. Looking for... Some people are just looking for loopholes. There aren't any loopholes. Jesus wants all of you. But... You got to come and see. Now, some people are like, see, that's the problem. I suspect he wants all of me and I don't want to give him any of me. Therefore, I'm going to suppress the truth. I'm not going to come and see because if I never see, then, then I don't have to wrestle with the truth. Here's the deal. If you come and see or don't come and see, you're going to have to stand face to face with the truth. Every single one of you, every single one of us is going to stand before a holy God. You're going to stand before the living God, Jesus Christ. You're going to give an account. And in that day, none of those fears are going to matter.
And if you don't allow yourself to come and see on the basis of what you fear he may ask you to do in this life, you will miss out on an eternity with him and you will be separated from him for eternity. So the problem, the problem of deceit. Don't rule out Christianity on the basis of what you fear Christ might ask you to do. When he asks you to do it, at that time, he'll give you the grace and the strength to do it. And more than that, he'll give you the desire. He'll give you the desire. So moving on, the next problem. The problem of gullibility. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Because remember what Jesus said, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, well, wait a minute, I've never met. How do you know me? And Jesus answered, well, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Stop. Here's what Jesus isn't saying. Jesus isn't saying, well, I saw you and Philip interacting and then I followed you and I watched you and I saw you, you were sitting under the fig tree. So that's how I knew you guys were related. What Jesus is saying is that I know you because I formed you. I know more about you than, than you know about you. This is a supernatural knowledge. This is something that he didn't see because he saw him literally with his eyes. He just knows, he knows Nathaniel's history. And so Nathaniel responds, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now look at what Jesus says. Because I said, I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? This is a mild rebuke. Yes, he, there's no deceit. There's a tad bit of gullibility though. Now, Jesus is not praising his gullibility. He is praising his, his honesty. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you're not going to believe in me just simply because your brother said so. There's, you're certainly a truth teller. You're also just a smidge gullible. I, saw, I told you I saw you under the fig tree and you're, you, I'm the son of God now? The church is filled with gullible people. Is this a newsflash? It's not. The world is filled with gullible people. People have a predisposition to want to believe what they want to believe. And they'll grab onto any form of evidence. Now, what does Jesus say? He doesn't rebuke him outright. He says, he's a question. That's it? That's all it takes? You just needed to hear one miracle? And you're ready to go? Oh, you stick around. You're going to see way more than that. Truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's a caution here. Let me ask you the question. Does... A miracle make something true. Yes or no? Pharaoh's magicians were able to reproduce almost all of the 10 plagues. Did that mean the gods of Egypt were more powerful than Yahweh, the God of Israel? No, but they were able to do miracles. Um, Here's another question. If you hear a truth claim from someone who's reliable... You're Philip, your brother, your parents, kids. If someone you trust tells you a truth claim, does that make what they claim true? 
Yes or no? Not necessarily. Jesus is inviting him. Like, it's great that you, great. uh, Yes, wonderful. You believe in me because I said I saw you. Stick around. The evidence is way, way deeper than the fact that I knew what was going through your head when you were sitting under the fig tree. I'll show you more. See, there's there's a caution here for the church. Parents especially. Please do not raise the next generation to believe in what you believe because you said so. Unless you want to sentence them to not being able to defend their faith or stand when they're no longer under your protection, they will collapse and fall. In fact, you should be peppering them. Well, pepper's a strong word. You should be testing them. Why do you believe what you believe? Well, because you told me it's true. If, well, let's talk about the tooth fairy. You remember the dime that I used to, the dollar I put under your pillow when you were five? We never did that with our kids. We just didn't want to lie from the get-go. Some of you parents are like, my children are here. I'm still lying to them. Just let me have my fantasies and keep the charade up. I'm sorry if I just blew your whole, your whole interaction with your children, but you get the idea. You don't let your children connect the dots between what you told them about the tooth fairy and Jesus Christ. They're not in the same category. Please do not perpetuate weak intellectual Christianity that cannot stand under the questions of the world. Now, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know Jesus and invite them to come and see. But don't be gullible. And teach your kids not to be gullible. And for those of you that are interacting with someone like a Nathaniel or that is skeptical and they have their doubts, encourage them. Don't tell them that their doubts are irrelevant. Tell them their doubts matter. But challenge them to say, I would encourage you to question your own doubts with the same veracity that you doubt. In other words, come and see. Be open. Don't be biased. Don't suppress the truth. Let's throw it out on the table. If Jesus is true, it'll stand. If not, it doesn't matter. Live as you please. That's what he's saying. Stick around. Oh, there's a lot more. There is a lot more. For you personally, if you believe, why do you believe? There's no wrong answer necessarily, but why do you believe? Well, because my parents told me. That won't, that, that won't keep you there. You need to know Christ personally. The church is filled with gullible people. Man, there are people that are sincere and they love Jesus with all their heart. And I hear them say things like, you know, this person said the Lord told me. If, if, If I told you the Lord told me and I wasn't quoting scripture, would you believe what I said? Some of you would. Why? Because I have authority. But these same people that say the Lord told me also say things like this. The Lord told me that if you give a seed offering of $100 and you send it to me, 
then God will multiply your blessings a hundredfold. Please tell me, for the love of all that is good, that if I asked you to send me a check for $100 promising that you would get 1000 that you people would run me out on a rail. Please tell me you would do that. It's not going to happen. But it does happen in many churches. Why? I saw you under the fig tree. How much do you want me to write out? That's gullibility. Jesus is not encouraging that. He wants you to test everything. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, test all prophecies. In other words, somebody comes in and says, the Lord said, test it. John says in 1 John, test the spirits because not every spirit comes from Christ. What's he saying? Not everything that's supernatural is from God. Don't be gullible. Don't be gullible. So that's the problem. So we've got the problem of bias. Come and see. We've got the problem of deceit. Come and see. Be honest about your, about your own reasons that you, you're afraid to find out the truth. Be honest with yourself. We have the problem of gullibility. Come and see. Come, the answer to every problem here in this text, all the problems are come and see. So here's some practices to embrace. Can you guess what the first one is? Come and see. That's it. That's, that's the practices to embrace. Whether you are a follower of Christ for 20 years or someone's inviting you to come check Jesus out and you're not sure. The, the practice to embrace is come and see. investigate the truth, dig, ask questions. When the disciples are following Jesus from the moment they followed, did they have all their answers? No, they never got all their questions answered. They were confused most of the time, but they knew the one who would redeem Israel. So come and see. So that's practice number one. Practice number two, stick around. In other words, come and see. Keep following. Come on, Nathaniel. I'm glad you're here. But that's pretty low-hanging fruit that I saw you under the, the fig tree. You can see a lot more, but you got to keep coming. Let's go. And what did Nathaniel do? I'm going. And what did, what did it cost him? His life. And what did he gain? Everything. Eternity. Jesus will ask each and every one of us to come and see. And then he'll ask us to keep going. And he will demand much. But Jesus told his disciples... Whoever's afraid to follow me for fear of losing the world will lose their life. Whoever is ready to lose their life will gain their life. In other words, anything that you lose, you couldn't keep anyway. But you got to come and see. You got to stick around. Regardless of where you're at, some of you are still considering, I don't know. I'm kind of that guy that you invited to the Bible study. I don't know that I could do this whole sexual monogamy thing. I don't even know that I want to. There's a million reasons people are afraid to follow Jesus. 
Some of you are not that. Some of you are more like Nathaniel. I just don't see how these people could be true. They're such noobs. Some of them are. Some of us are. But that doesn't mean that our Savior is. Come and see. Some of you are Philip. You're Andrew. You love someone that doesn't know Christ. Invite them to come and see. You're like, but what if I don't have the answers? You never will have all the answers. That's not our responsibility to answer all the questions. Our responsibility is to give them an invitation to meet the one who can satisfy their deepest longings and their deepest needs. So as we close in prayer, I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Josh to come up, our executive pastor, for just a, a few announcements and uh, encourage you. Come and see, stick around, and invite others to do the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we do not have to know all the answers. In fact, we couldn't know all the answers even if we had them available, Lord. There's just too much, too much information, too many questions. But Lord, thank you that you can meet us where we are at. I pray for the person here this morning who is like Nathaniel. They do doubt. They're skeptical. Lord, thank you for giving them a brain that's not gullible. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak truth to them, that they would be unafraid to to come and see. And I pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself to them. And Father, for those of us who have been following you, maybe like Philip, Lord, some of us are afraid to interact those who don't know you because we don't want to be labeled a Nazarite. We don't want to be labeled as as anti-intellectual. We don't want to be looked down upon. And so fear hinders us. And we don't have all the answers. And so sometimes we're afraid. Would you help us to not be afraid and just to simply invite people to come and see? Lord, we are asking and praying these things so that the name of Christ might be exalted in this community, that he might be lifted up for all to see, that he might be worshiped in this community and to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.